Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. San Antonio District Judge resigns after a federal corruption probe. A former San Antonio, Texas judge goes to federal prison after pleading guilty to accepting bribes in exchange for rigging cases in his court. Angus McGinty committed the ultimate judicial sin. Why did you do it? I did it because I was foolish. Listen to How to Bribe a Judge on RevolverPodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. What's up, guys? John Anik and Kenny Florian. Oh my God! Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. And there is no place that I would rather be. It is Wednesday, 14 March, episode 147, Anik and Florian podcast. Great to be back with you. And there he is in all his glory, the early leader for 2018 Father of the Year, Kenny Ken Flo Florian. Good Wednesday morning to you, kid. Looking good. little comb over today. It looks good. Yes. Oh, yeah. The lettuce is getting long, so I had to to do something with it. I had to do something with it. Filming UFC tonight later today, so, you know, I had to look somewhat presentable. Oh, that's right. That's right. It's a big day. You go radio in the morning and then TV at night. Exactly. So, uh... So I know you've been busy, not too busy to get retweeted by the Girl Scouts of America, but you have been busy. <laughs> I know. I mean, How big was that? That was the biggest thing that ever happened to me. That was pretty cool. So we all love Samoas, but we all can't get retweeted <laughs> by the Girl Scouts, Kenny. I mean, the guy's on the father payroll for five weeks. He's getting retweeted by the Girl Scouts of America. Uh, it's winning. Amazing. That's what winning is all about right there. Is that yeah. just like celebrity stuff or like <laughs> F-list celebrity? They, they appreciated my tweet is what they did. Uh, so uh, so I was just in Miami for a couple nights, so yeah. I'm, I'm hurting a little bit today. I uh, also went to Connecticut to, uh, to celebrate the life of Bruce Connell, and what a great tribute it was to mm-hmm. that absolute 
legend. So uh, just getting to know his sons a little bit and his daughter, Tyler, Trevor, and Carly, what an impressive family and legacy. Um, I'm going to be working for those kids someday uh, if I can stay in the business long enough. So was good to get up there for a few days and then sort of unwind in Miami. Right back at it today. We're hoping to talk to a couple of UFC champions. We'll see how it goes. But TJ Dillashaw, Amanda Nunes, both champions at 135 pounds, both on standby. Ray Long goes all fired up. You know when he calls me on show day, he's got something to talk about. He's like, what are we talking about today? <laughs> so whatever you want, sir, whatever you want. So we'll talk to Longo. Uh, I want to talk about Nick Newell a little bit today, Kenny. Before we get there, though, I just want to hit on a few UFC items because last week we had 90 minutes or so, and, and there was so much to get to out of UFC 222, and we tried to do it justice. But one name we didn't talk about was Frankie Edgar. We spent most of the show on T-City and Chris mm -hmm. Cyborg and everybody else, but we didn't talk about this result in the context of Frankie Edgar's career sure. and what this loss does or doesn't do to his legacy. And, and maybe it's less about this obvious Hall of Fame legacy and more about who's next for Frankie Edgar. Because maybe if you want to say he has signs there of slowing down, he's 36 years old and this guy's going to fight. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised to see him stay in this game as long as hum humanly possible. Um, but this is obviously a tough pill to swallow and I would think closes the book on the championship aspirations at 45 at the very least uh it, it certainly does uh but you know for frankie this is a guy that is a 100 percent pick for a hall of famer you look at everything he's done he's a champion at 155 pounds um and and i think some of those losses that he had uh in the ufc when he lost the belt um, and when he fought for the belt again at 55, I thought were questionable. I, I thought that uh, he won some of those fights against Benson Henderson. Um, I also feel like, um, you know, at 45, um, he, he's been doing extremely well. The only people he lost to was uh, Aldo, uh, really, uh, at that weight class. And then uh, this last fight against Ortega, a fight he didn't have to take. Uh, right. And, you know, for Frankie, he's been a guy who has fought everybody. Everybody. He did not need to take this fight against Ortega. Um, he took it anyway. Uh, it's just not in Frankie's style to kind of say no to any fight. Um, it was still a big fight. It was a fight that a lot of people were excited about. Um, but, you know, the legend Frankie didn't have to take it. He could have waited around and said, you know what, I'm just going to wait and wait for Max Holloway to get good, then I'll fight him. Uh, right. He didn't do that. Um, it, it's an interesting case study here for a lot of the other fighters who sometimes do take those fights, sometimes they do not because of those risks involved. Um, uh, and I think it's a, it's a it, it's amazing to see Frankie take this fight after being in the game for so long. You go, you know what? Doesn't matter. Yes, I'm close to this title shot. I'm going to take this fight anyway. He was doing extremely well against Ortega. Uh, ended up getting caught with that big elbow on the way in. Um, and it was a miscalculation. It was a mistake. And these things happen in this game. When you're fighting as many hours as he has in the octagon, does he still have – de definitely in the top three, uh, uh, most yeah, amount of fight uh, time, he's, right? he's number one all time with there north of six hours, Ken. Okay, that's insane. All right, so um, huh. mistakes are going to happen when you're fighting that long in the octagon. And, um, you know, for Frankie, you know, a lot of people have been talking about him fighting at 135 pounds. I would like to see it. You know, give him a big fight. Uh, how about him fighting someone like a Dominic Cruz? I, I think that's a fight that makes a lot of sense. I know Dom isn't going to just take any fight. He wants to take a fight right. that makes sense for him, that, that's uh, going to elevate his status. I think both those guys, if they fought each other, it would elevate their status. Um, that's, a, that's a super fight. That's a fight people have been talking about for a long time, um, and uh, I would like to see it happen. There are a lot of options for Frankie Edgar, and in sort of, 
putting a bow on the T-City stuff. I feel like maybe internally, not only was he thinking about the layoff, which had extended to May of 2017 when he lambasted Yair Rodriguez, but in terms of Brian Ortega, maybe felt like, look, if I can't beat this kid, uh, this undefeated kid who is all the rage right now, then maybe I'm not going to beat Max Holloway. So let's stay active. The show money doesn't hurt. Uh, He's a guy I haven't fought who was on the rise, and obviously he fell short that night. All of that being said, Frankie Edgar is going to be a guy who is never going to be without options, and he has them now at 145 pounds and also at 35, as you mentioned. He has had hesitation in the past to move down to Bantamweight. My informed speculation says it's not because he couldn't make the cut. It's because he had unfinished business at 145 pounds, and cutting weight is not fun for a lifelong wrestler anyway. So if he was having success and realizing success at 45, why do you cut down? But I think we should start there because if there is still a championship aspiration and still a desire to win a title in a second division, despite all of the big names and a guy like Jimmy Rivera on a 20-fight winning streak at 135 pounds, it might not be unlike your situation, Ken Flo, where he moves down, one win gets him a title fight. And guys like Dominic Cruz, Cody Garbrandt, maybe even Rafael Asuncao are out there and would probably like the big-name fight that Frankie Edgar represents to them. Right. Um, so I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Frankie Edgar's next move be there. Um, sounds like for you the Cruz-Edgar fight would be your dream scenario at 35 in terms of the names we laid out? Absolutely. And I think, you know, for him... It- it's not that he can't compete at 45. Obviously, the guy's been doing tremendously well. He's a former champion at 155 pounds. It's a different sport now, obviously. Um, but at 45, you look at you know what he needs to do to get back in that into that title picture. Um, he's going to have to fight some tough fights, and he might have to fight a little bit more than three fights to, to get back in there. I think at 35, he could fight one, potentially one, if he's able to beat someone like a Dominic Cruz uh, or a Jimmy Rivera at 35. Um, he could be in the title picture in his next shot. You know what I mean? That That's a name that's coming down from 55-45 into the 35-pound division and, um, you know, making it that much better. That 35-pound division, man, the bantamweights are absolute beasts right now. Um, and, you know, he can inject a little bit more drama into that division. Now, ultimately, my prediction would be that his next fight is in the featherweight division, uh, but I could be wrong. I think I would like to see him go to 35 but again, real quick, Kenny, guys, at 45, you got Josh Emmett, Ricardo Lamas, uh, the Korean Zombie, Chan Sung Jung, Duho Choi, all guys there who I think are coming off a loss, so some sort of scenario would align there. Yeah. Darren Elkin seems to be the only guy out there, and he might even have a fight on the books, but who Frankie Edgar hasn't fought, that would have some value, and that value comes in the form of Elkins' six- or seven-fight winning streak at this point. So there are some names at 45. I'd love to see him fight Ricardo Lamas, right? I mean, that's a fight that we have not seen that has a lot of intrigue for me. So I think my best guess is you see Frankie Edgar versus Ricardo Lamas at featherweight. But if Frankie is truly driven by that that 35-pound gold, I think I think now would be a, a good time to say, you know what, even this, even though this isn't the way I wanted to go down. You know, he wanted to go down to 35 trying to become a three-division champion. Yeah. That's not going to happen. But I still think uh, – it might be the time. The time might be now with a lot of big fights down there if he chooses to do so. Yeah, and I think you're right. He'll most likely fight at 145 pounds. I just feel like, and this is no offense to those uh, gentlemen at 145 pounds who are tremendous fighters, but those guys that are in that top five, you know, you mentioned guys like Lamas, Emmett, uh, and those guys. I mean, 
does he have anything to gain by fighting that? Does it elevate his status? I mean, right. I mean, don't get Kenny it, Florian out of bed. See, you know right. what I mean? Josh Emmett yeah. is not getting Kenny Florian yeah, out of bed. Yeah, but, but Dominic Cruz, I'm excited about. You know what I mean? Yeah. That would be yeah. that would be an amazing fight. And uh, I don't know. We'll we'll see we'll see what Frankie does. All right. Well, just wanted to hit on that a little bit because it got lost in the shuffle of last week and and everything that yep. UFC 222 was, which was uh, a huge show, obviously, for uh, for the MMA leader. So uh, Luke Rockhold, Polo Blue, we didn't touch on that. I know we're <laughs> talking about you and the Girl Scouts of America, but Luke Rockhold, <laughs> Polo Blue, you got Minotauro Energy Drink uh, in Brazil now. I don't know if you saw that. I did uh, not see good that. Good for wow. him, capitalizing on his legend. And then, of course, Conor McGregor's Burger King spot. Uh Spicy crispy chicken sandwich, Kenny. Have you have you watched this Burger King spot? I've watched it probably 60, 70 times. I have, I have. Okay. So when I hear him say "spicy crispy chicken sandwich," I every time, I can't even spicy, say that. Spicy crispy chicken sandwich. <laughs> and I know people are annoyed by my tweet, but uh, when I push something out there, there's no agenda. Like, right. yes, I'm happy for Connor, and I'm happy for any UFC or mixed martial arts athlete that realizes a high-profile sponsorship. All I'm saying is that as a salesman, as a pitchman, Kenny, he says spicy, crispy chicken sandwich. <laughs> In that accent, it makes me want to go buy one. Uh, well, it's interesting. I, I remember after his first fight uh, th- that we had the opportunity of being able to call, um, I remember, you know, he said, you know, I, I just had a, a gluten-free pizza and, you know, that was my, that was his, uh, his cheat meal, you know, he had a gluten-free yeah. pizza and now he's, he's promoting a Burger King spicy uh-huh. chicken sandwich, whatever. But anyways, uh, let's talk about how far we've come as a sport where I would tell people, you know, hey, well, so what do you do? You know, and it's, ah, I do right. MMA. What's MMA? What's UFC? Right. What, right. what is that? And now we have a UFC st- competitor, fighter, champion who is now promoting Something like Burger King. I think that's pretty damn cool, man. We've come a long way. We've come a long way. And, and for Connor, uh, he continues to make money outside of the octagon. Uh, it, it's amazing, man. He's he's become um, quite an impressive businessman. And I know you you can't even get the name of the sandwich right. I can't. Uh, maybe no. by next week's show. No. But shame on McDonald's, too. I know this isn't your genre, <laughs> Ken Flo, okay? Uh, no, it's but, not. You what know, is the sandwich? Shame what is his it? name is his name is Conor McGregor, right? McDonald's, yeah. Mac Jr. I mean, a lot oh, of different ways you and, could go. And how about this? You know, with the whole you know Trump Russia thing that's going on. One of the no characters, Sam Nunberg, actually made a reference to Conor McGregor. Like he he said that the, the champ champ does whatever the fuck he wants. That's it. Literally what he says. And they're like, what are you talking about? And he's like, oh, the champ champ. Like, who's the champ champ? He's like Conor McGregor, my favorite fighter. Yeah. Yeah, like he's literally right. he uh, that's that's crazy. Conor McGregor's yeah. he's kind of a big deal, dude. Yeah, no, he is. He is on yeah. the tip of the tongue of a lot of people. Uh well, that brings us to Nate Diaz because mm. I wanted to get your thoughts on this. You know, I did an interview with MMA Junkie when we were in Orlando for the Fox UFC fight night and we touched on a lot of fights that were happening at that time, but also a lot of fights that weren't happening at that time and a lot of future stories and one of the subjects that came up of course was Nate Diaz and ultimately his value as a pay-per-view draw with or without Conor McGregor I think we all feel pretty confident that he and Conor can do a massive number if and when that trilogy fight is Mm -hmm. made but what kind of residual value is there for guys like Daniel Cormier and Nate Diaz when you do fight on more than one occasion guys like John Jones and Conor McGregor now Nate Diaz brings so much to the table beyond just those two super fights yeah 
that I sort of am of the belief, without the benefit of our internal metrics at the UFC, which I know obviously exist, that this is a top five pay-per-view draw in the company, almost regardless of opponent. Now, I can't say with great mathematical backing that that, that is true, but you know, I think it's a pretty short list of guys who, who sell tickets and move that pay-per-view needle. And, and I think, based upon the Conor McGregor series, that Nate Diaz is very much that guy. I don't know if he'll get the chance to do that, but I certainly hold Nate Diaz in that type of regard. Well, I mean, you got you got a 209 tattoo uh, on your arm. Well, I do. I That's do. That's what's up. That's what's up. You're talking about Nate Diaz. I'm the real champ. I'm the real champ. All right. So, so let's so listen. So what I got to say is this. is he Absolutely, he's a star. Here's the situation for him and for the UFC. All right? It's a tricky one because, yes, can Nate Diaz go and fight a big fight against a, a George St. Pierre or a Tyron Woodley? Everyone's going to turn to, to want to watch that. Um, I would want to see that. He's a star in his, in his own right. There's no doubt about it. However... Some fighters are just linked with, with another, right? And, and it, you mentioned Daniel Cormier, John Jones, uh, and Nate Diaz is absolutely linked to Conor McGregor based on uh, their, their epic two fights. So that's a trilogy that needs to happen. Now, if Nate Diaz goes and fights someone else, right? If he goes and fights someone else and he happens to lose that fight, now we kind of we take a little bit of the luster off of that trilogy fight with Conor, in my opinion. So I don't know if the UFC wants to risk that, and I don't know if Nate Diaz wants to risk that. You know what I mean? If See, you know yeah. you have that fight on the horizon, do you risk taking another fight and possibly not getting that fight or possibly not making as much money in that third fight against Conor McGregor, which we all know is going to be gigantic? Right. And, of course, all indications are that promotionally they're going to try very hard to get Conor McGregor to fight the winner of Tony Ferguson and Khabib Nurmagomedov, which is cannonball coming up quickly, thankfully. Sure. But I always felt like the way you would raise – the series was to have finally championship stakes, third and final meeting between Nate Diaz and Conor McGregor. And finally, there's a belt on the line. Mm. But that's probably not going to be the case right now. I mean, yeah. they may fight at 65 or they might, might fight at 55. I don't know. But I don't think there would be a belt on the line necessarily unless Conor were to get through Khabib or Tony and then put that belt on the line in, in the defense of this next reign for him uh, against Nate Diaz. But I just sort of think big picture that uh, Nate Diaz – brings a lot to the the box office and the table and uh, just would like to see him back in there. I mean, that was really the root of the conversation right. was that we'd like to see these guys back in there. I'm not sure we're going to see Nick anytime soon, but uh, hopefully uh, the Nate Diaz return happens here in the next couple months. I a couple agree. other things, Kenny, I want to hint on here. UFC 225 uh, starting to take shape on June 9th. CM Punk uh, hints at a return on that evening. Also, Rashad Evans going back up to 205 pounds to take on Anthony Lionheart Smith. Of course, Smith moving up from middleweight as well for the first time in the UFC, at least for him. Uh, I know this hits close to home, Kenny. I mean, this is tricky, right? right? We both go way, way back with Rashad. Yes. Uh, moving back up to 205 pounds at this stage of his career. Uh, is this just trying to get in that win column and go out with a high? Like, what do you think are, are Rashad's expectations against a very dangerous you know, multifaceted striker and and submission artist Anthony Smith. Well, I, I don't know if it's about Rashad wanting to just get a win. I wouldn't pick uh, Anthony Lionheart Smith as, as my well, easy right. win. You know what I mean? Not a He's picnic. Not a picnic at all. This guy's an absolute savage. And guess what? He's coming up from 185 pounds uh, like Rashad. And Rashad, a former champ at 205 pounds. We would think that Rashad would be the larger man 
Nope. Anthony Smith right. is going to be still uh, bigger and maybe significantly bigger uh, than Rashad. So that's not an easy fight, man. Um, I don't know. For Rashad, you know what? Listen, I, I think he's just trying to go out there and compete like he knows he can. Um, and I think we're all waiting for that. Um, the last several fights, we haven't seen that. Um, I think Rashad is well aware of that, and I think he just needs to get over that mental hurdle. I think there's something that's preventing him from truly showing what he's all about and, and getting back to that um, maybe not championship form, uh, but getting back to really showing his potential as an athlete and as a fighter. Uh, I think Rashad is such an intelligent guy, and he really has a lot of gifts as a fighter. Um I think mentally he's been his own worst enemy out there um, yeah. and, and dealing with that pressure and then dealing with coming back after a loss and then dealing with another loss. And, and, and it's just it's a very hard hole to climb out of. Um, very few fighters are able to do it. That's what I think was so impressive about Chris Weidman being able to do it after uh, suffering all those losses in a row and doing it right. against a tough guy in Kelvin Gaslam. I thought that was impressive as hell. Uh, yeah. So. Um, Rashad's got his back up against the wall, but I think for him, in some ways, he, he should see it as there is no pressure. He just needs to go out there and just fight like he can, yeah. uh, and, and he just needs to put the past uh, behind him and, and just go out there and compete. And he certainly will have a willing trade partner, and you got to yeah. feel good for Anthony Smith too, getting big name opponents at this stage of his big career, forty plus fights in, you know, to w to beat Hector Lombard and now get a fight against Rashad Evans. So UFC 225, of course, Rashad Evans with roots in Chicago as well. June 9th, Robert Whitaker, Yoel Romero, two now the main event. Kenny uh, reports are some other fights: Claudia Gadelia, Carla Esparza, Joseph Benavidez returns against Sergio Pettis, perhaps heavyweights Alistair Overeem and Curtis Blades. So that is UFC 225 coming up June 9th. Of course, the next pay-per-view, as we will talk about over these next several weeks, flow UFC 223. I'm smiling. Yes, I'm smiling if you get video. Khabib Nurmagomedov, Tony Ferguson. I should probably say Tony's name first, but I bring it up to you today in the context of nobody that I respect picking Tony Ferguson right now to win the fight. And I don't even have to ask your ass right now to know that you're going to pick Khabib Nurmagomedov to win this fight. He's 25-0. and 0. I understand he's never lost a round in training or sparring, but my argument on the other side, and again, I'm calling the fight, I'm not picking it, is that Tony Ferguson on paper to me is the most accomplished 155-pound fighter in UFC history, certainly in the modern era, mm -hmm. to have reeled off 10 consecutive wins. And by the way, one of them was against Rafael Dos Anjos in Mexico City at altitude, if I'm not mistaken. You know, I think people lose sight of what Tony Ferguson has done and instead want to focus on wayward moments in the fight against Lando Venata, right, on short notice and say, oh, I don't know. I mean, I understand what he is up against. I understand why the experts seem to all be falling on one side of this. But um, can we at least acknowledge what Tony Ferguson has been and why you'd be foolish to go to the window, in my opinion, and place a big bet against him? You make some tremendous points. Tony Ferguson is a winner. Um, he's done it in division, in a division which has been the most competitive in the UFC since the very beginning, probably. Um, Ferguson, he has a lot of weapons. He has a lot of tools. He has knockout power. Um, he has a tremendous clinch. He knows how to submit you on the ground. Um, this guy comes in tremendous shape. You are never going to see a Tony Ferguson that is tired during a fight. Um, he will push the pace on you. Uh, he comes from a wrestling background. Um, he's a very creative as a fighter. Um, he's been extremely consistent in this division. 
Um, and yeah, can he win the fight? Absolutely. Um, I think when Tony Ferguson is able to create chaos uh, in the octagon, that's when he's at his best. And I think that's precisely what he needs to do uh, against someone like Habib Nurmagomedov. Now, you could talk about Habib and the fact that, you know, he's this absolute beast who gets you on the ground and uses his ground and pound and um, is relentless with it. He doesn't take any positional risks, okay? He's all about position. Um, he's not the most devastating striker. He's not the most devastating submission artist in the world. But what he does positionally is absolutely tremendous. Um, he will get to a half guard and beat the living hell out of you. He will right. get you down to the mat no matter what uh, without taking much damage on the feet. Um, and he's not going to lose position. He's not going to let you get back to your feet. And if you do, you're only there for like a couple seconds until you're taking a trip back right down to the canvas. Um, yeah. So for Habib, he just doesn't take a whole lot of risks uh, with his game. That's what makes him so great. He knows exactly what makes him uh, so tough as a fighter, and he sticks to it. He's not out there trying to do something crazy on the feet, um, and, and he shouldn't. For Tony Ferguson, um, he's all about scrambles, and we have a guy in Habib who's all about position. So we, we have a, an amazing contrast of styles here. Um, if Ferguson is able to consistently create these scrambles and find a way to get his arms around uh, Habib's neck or you know a leg or something, he might be able to, to get this upset win. But when you get a guy in Habib who has been so consistent, a guy yep. who does not take these uh, risks positionally on the mat, um, he, he, he gets you to tire out. He gets you to do all the work. Um, so Habib's going to be a tough out for anybody. And everybody who's been saying, hey, listen, uh, you know, this is a guy who hasn't lost a round in training. I mean, how do you bet against that guy? That, that's right. the problem. And, you know, I, I have a buddy of mine uh, who uh, is, is a very, very high-level accomplished Brazilian jiu-jitsu competitor, Brazilian jiu-jitsu uh, black belt, um, and he had the opportunity to train with Habib. And I, I thought that he'd at least be able to catch him or whatever, and, and uh, he was not able to catch him. He said he really couldn't get that close. He said Habib um, just was able to just, keep position and didn't take a whole lot of risk but he just wasn't able to get around the guy just so damn strong he yeah, said wasn't able to do pace. anything to him you're talking right, about a world-class percentage jitsu black belt let me stop you right there ken flo because yep. i don't want to keep this man on hold any longer back to that topic in a second but joining us now on the guest line another guy who historically i think doesn't get the credit for being the all-time great that i perceive him to be two-time current undisputed ufc bantamweight champion of the world tj dillashaw is with us TJ, appreciate you breaking off a few minutes for us today, man. How are you? Oh, of course. Thanks, John. I, I really appreciate it. Um, I so can listen to keep going on, though. I'm in no rush. <laughs> oh, well, well, we appreciate that. No, I need taking notes, I'm sure, before you place your 223 bets. But so, so Ken Flo's a father about five weeks here. Uh, how's fatherhood been for you? You're not all that long into it, I guess, right? No, I'm 11 weeks in. It's uh, amazing. It's um, nothing like it's it's. It's it's a whole other job, and I love it. You know, it's crazy. It's awesome. Um, everything that I've dreamed of. But, uh, yeah, a ton of work. I mean, with, with opening our, our new gym, training, and uh, getting everything going, it's been it's been a lot to handle, but it's been a great problem. Well, it's cool to hear. So four months have now passed since, of course, we saw you knock out Cody Garbrandt. It was at Madison Square Garden back in November. 
I called it the biggest singular win of 2017. Even if you weren't everyone's consensus fighter of the year, you were in that discussion. I felt like this was the biggest singular win because you kind of took out an entire team in the process. Can you just take us back there for a minute or so and tell us what it was like to to not just get that win, but with all of the the heat and all of the weight on that matchup to come through the way you did? I mean, it just felt like a big fuck you to a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much exactly. You know, I mean, you saw you saw what happened after the fight when uh, he started standing up. I'm just yelling in his face, looking like a complete psycho. I mean, I was just <laughs> releasing all that, all that, yeah, pretty much a whole year of a frustration. Actually, a lot longer than that. I mean, ever since I lost that fight to Cruz, that uh, I never felt like I lost. I was trying to get that fight back and then get my belt back, as well as having to deal with all of Team Alpha Male and all the ridiculous antics. Um, yeah, man, it was just a, a lot of frustration, but it was a, a great, great feeling, you know, um, knowing that I'm the best in the world and just continuing to push and fighting the number one contenders along the way and, and beating these top guys and, and just knowing where I should be at. I think that's maybe more the where the frustration was coming from and then those other guys just added to it, you know. I mean, it was a big fuck you to the whole team. I even had to yell at their corner on the way back afterwards because they were giving me shit, <laughs> not all the way through the whole camp, through the, through the fight, through – there's so much, you know. I mean, those are those are all guys that I called really good friends at one point in time, and for them to right. uh, flip the script and to uh, to to get on me like that was uh, it was real satisfying to kind of throw it back in the face. No, I'm sure, and I know that the people who really know you were just genuinely happy for you because there's a good egg in there sometimes, despite what the perception out there is. So. <laughs> how soon do you how soon do you watch a fight like that back looking for technical improvements? I, I mean, I'd imagine there was more in that fight that you liked than you didn't, but I got to think there are some things you saw that that you'd like to shore up a little bit. Oh, absolutely. I mean, kind of kind of right away. Um, as soon as I got back into town, Dwayne was already had me back in there watching uh, watching that fight as well as looking at possible opponent a uh, future opponent. I mean, the guy doesn't stop. You know, we're always looking to get better. Um, and, and there's not really a, a time off. Even when you're injured, he's got me in there watching tape and doing the right things. But um, getting back at it and, and, and watching that fight, there's definitely some things that I needed to tighten up, some things I could have taken advantage more of, um, some openings I've seen that I didn't, that I didn't react on at, at the right time. Um, yeah, so instantly getting back and watching, watching tape, really. You know, TJ, to, to go back to what Anik was talking about with you screaming in uh, Cody's face, I think that's that's like one of the most memorable experiences that I've had watching a UFC fight. That is like singed into my memory for whatever reason. <laughs> it, that's going to go down as like an iconic picture. That picture is just absolutely sick. But uh, anyways, yeah. uh, TJ, so at 135 pounds, if you're not able to, we're going to talk about the Demetrius Johnson thing, but if you're not able to get that fight, what fight at 135 pounds makes a lot of sense? Because you look at this Cody fight, and I know you're kind of uh, upset about it in a lot of ways because you had to wait, right? They didn't give you that immediate rematch against Dominic Cruz, um, and obviously yeah. you won that fight pretty quickly by knockout. So, But yeah. you can argue that might be the most profitable fight for you in some ways because you guys, you guys know how to hype a fight. But there's that Dominic Cruz fight out there as well for you. What's the fight that makes the most sense in the bantamweight division? <clears throat> You know, I guess I guess you you kind of hit the nail on the head. Is that, you know, I I don't think Cody would deserve a rematch. You know, I, I don't think he would. He, I mean, you know, going through and, and for me fighting those number one contenders to get back to where I was at, losing a split decision loss with having some defenses behind me winning that belt. I mean, the guy 
had a good fight against Dominic Cruz, but other than that, he's never defended his belt. He hasn't fought anybody else in the top five. Um, you know, so it's not like he deserves But, yes, with all that drama, all that buildup, I do think he's the, the best fight for me at 135, and I got the guy's number, you know, so why not why not take him out again and, and, and get paid handsomely for it, you know? But what I really want to do, like you, like you said, is that I, I'm looking for that Demetrius Johnson fight for the fact of my legacy, for the fact of being the best pound-for-pound pound fighter in the world, that I believe that I am, you know, that um, I want to get out there and prove it. Um, so that's that's something I, I got my, my, my eyes set on. But, um, yeah, Cody does seem like a great a great matchup to come back to. There's people that that uh, want, want to see that fight too. Um, you know, he's very loud and, and brash and uh, makes a lot of tension. So, yeah, he would be the most profitable, profitable fight for me. Dominic Cruz, too, hasn't fought since he's lost his belt either. You know, he's been injured. Um, so that's one where he's kind of not been very relevant either. And, and TJ, what, what, uh, as far as, you know, fighting DJ, I know you said you wanted to go down 125 pounds. Is that still the case? You would go to his division to fight him? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I can make the weight. I'm not, I'm a, I'm a small 135 pounder, you know, um, I've already continued to, so I don't know what's going on. I'm kind of in limbo right now. So I've kind of held my weight neutral. I'm the leanest I've ever been walking around outside of camp not getting ready for a fight, you know, continuing to keep my weight in, in reachable 125 position as long as this fight happens, you know, because I've talked to Demetrius Johnson. He wants this fight to happen. I want this fight to happen. We both know when we want it to happen. And now it's just all about the UFC getting it lined up and getting it done. Every fan I hear on social media or in person wants this fight to happen. I mean, for me, it's the highly most highly touted fight for this year. Um, it just doesn't make sense why it hasn't already been lined up yet. I don't know if it's because he's got some injuries he's dealing with still as well and myself getting healthy. But uh, it's uh, – yeah, man, I mean, that's – I would go to 125. So I feel like that's what makes the most sense. If I want to be known as the best pound-for-pound pound fighter, then I can't have him come up and beat him at my weight class and then the excuse be – Oh well, I had to go up a weight to fight you. I'm still better at right. 25. Kind of thing. What's so been the? I would, I would, I would. Go ahead. No, sorry. I'll, sorry. Uh, what's been the holdup? Is it uh, about money? Is it about like the timing of the fight? What What has been the holdup? Because it seems like the fight was close to happening. We heard that it was it was going to get signed, and then it didn't. What has been? Uh, what have been the hurdles? I I really can't, couldn't tell you. You know. Um, yeah, it was about to get signed. We were going to try to fight in April. Um, but then Demetrius had to go and get his shoulder looked at and got uh, surgery on his labrum or his rotator cuff, I mean, I believe. Um, and so that postponed it, you know, which would have postponed it to fighting in July, he's thinking, and which we're, 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 which I believe would work out perfect. You know, we jump on that Stipe and Cormier card. It's the champ versus champ card. It's a, kind of a perfect story, as well as it's the perfect timing for me right now, too. I mean, I have great opponents at 135. But no one stands out to me as the number one contender. You know, like I said, Cody doesn't deserve right. the instant rematch. Cruz has it once since he lost his belt. You got Jimmy Rivera and um, uh, Marlon Marias fighting, which are up there. You got a sense I'm looking for a fight to get up there. So I, I don't feel like there's a oh, number one contender with all those guys. Um, it's, a, it's a perfect time for me to fight Demetrius. I don't understand why it's not lined up already. UFC Bantamweight champ TJ Dillashaw with us here on the Anakin Florian podcast. So, Obviously, you're staying lean, but as the weeks continue to tick off the calendar, I got to think at some point, you know, you have a, a, a be-all end type date if to try to fight in July. I mean, I guess we're sitting here in March, but at some point, right? I mean, you got to get a fight, right? Oh, 100%. Absolutely. I mean, I've been dealing with some injuries, too. That I've been trying to keep quiet, but when they wanted me to take that short notice three-week fight against Cody on uh, 
the Edgar and um, Ortega card, I wasn't able to take it. I had some injuries I've been dealing with. Um, So getting healthy was was the first and foremost. Um, I was trying to keep it all quiet, but uh, it's kind of hard when you're getting asked to to fight on short notice. Um, But, yes, I I definitely need to get that fight. Uh, I need to get a fight, actually, you know. So, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the time frame I'm looking at to be healthy, get back into camp, and to get going. So, uh, you know, that's that's why I'm not doing too much. Like I said, I'm walking around lean, but I'm not dropping weight. You know, I'm, right. I'm just being healthy. I'm, I'm staying active, as active as I can, and, and being healthy. And uh, if it is a, a call to go 25s, I can do it. If it's a call to stay in my weight class, I'm more than ready to do that as well, too. So just one of those things that uh, just keep myself riding. And by the way, in terms of that whole UFC 222 stuff, we thought you handled that situation perfectly. We said on these airwaves it made absolutely no sense for you to step up on short notice and face Cody Garbrandt, given the circumstances that we've outlined earlier. So I thought you handled that well. But in in terms of your legacy and your perception from MMA fans, right, we could be sitting here talking about a guy who's been the UFC Bantamweight champion for four and a half years. And I know, unfortunately, for your sake, that's not the narrative, but just two split decision losses over the last five plus years. You're on the pound for pound list. You're certainly in the top 10, but I know you want to be the number one guy. How do you feel like the perception is of TJ Dillashaw in terms of fans and experts and, and everything that your career has held up to this point? Other, there's always going to be love and hate, you know, no matter what even if you're trying to handle thing, everything perfectly. But I think what it comes down to is just uh, being true to myself, you know, and I feel like that's finally coming across, you know, with the whole ultimate fighter, with uh, the buildup of this fight, the way I've acted after in, in before the fight, um, just coming across as that, you know, I mean, I guess I could be a little more brash and talk a little more crap, but it would feel forced, you know, I mean, I will talk about I believe I'm the best in the world. You know, I'll believe that I'll tell you how confident I am and, and how hard I train and how aggressive I am. Yeah, that, that's all very true, and that's how I'm going to act. So I feel like that's all come across pretty well. Um, but, yeah, you got your, 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 your naysayers all the time as well. So, I mean, I'm, I'm loved and I'm hated, and that's a great thing because they're going to want to watch me either way. <laughs> Well, and, and I think you're certainly respected, certainly by the, the fellow fighters that have fought you and all of the analysts and people in the space. Uh, he is UFC Bantamweight champ TJ Dillashaw, of course, still chasing down that super fight with Demetrius Johnson. We hope it happens for you, ma'am. We hope the payday comes in July as well. We know you've been one of the best in any division for six-plus years now. Uh, thank you for carving out a few minutes for us, man, and, and we will see you uh, hopefully this summer in Vegas, bud. Absolutely. Good, good talking to you guys. All right, there he is, TJ Dillashaw, with us on the Anakin Florian podcast. So it sounds like the Cody Garbrandt fight still has some appeal at 35. The Dominic Cruz fight maybe to a lesser extent, even though he would have the opportunity to avenge a split decision loss. But the fight is TJ DJ. And you know Dana White's on board and wants to make the fight. So hopefully whatever hurdles remain can be uh, leapfrogged and we can get this thing on paper. Because to me, it is so compelling And I like the fact that TJ Kenny doesn't necessarily want to do it at 35. I think there's the appeal for him in not just being a two-division champion, but proving that he's the one making the sacrifice before getting his hands on that belt, too. It shows how confident TJ is as well to say, you know what? Yeah, I'll go down 125 pounds. It doesn't matter to me. And, you know, we saw uh, DJ again when he was competing at 135 pounds um, just you know, it, it's tough for him at his height to deal with those guys. Um, TJ has been walking around a lot lighter, um, and there's no question that for TJ, he sees it a tremendous opportunity 
to go out there and fight a guy in Demetrius Johnson who many believe is the greatest fighter that we've ever seen in the octagon. Certainly has all yeah. the skills. And TJ is one of the few guys that can actually compete with him. Skill for skill. He has knockout power as well. He has that wrestling background. And when he strikes, I mean, the angles that he hits, he, he, he's been looking like a professional kickboxer for a very long time. And the way that he's just has gelled as a fighter, the confidence that he has now, um, that is absolutely a super fight. That's the fight that I want to see. Um, that's the one that I've been waiting for, and, and hopefully it does happen. All right, we'll see. July 7th. Huge. Just text Daniel Cormier. Text me just July 7th. Like, that's all he'll write. Right. Just July 7th. <laughs> UFC 226 in Vegas. Hopefully it gets TJ versus DJ. All right, we're going to spin this thing forward to UFC London, get some Ken Flo picks on the record here in a moment. First, though, give me a minute to tell you about Mattress Firm. Everyone knows how important stretching is before an event. Well, so does Mattress Firm, except it's your dollar. Your budget stretches further when you're shopping at America's Neighborhood Mattress Store. It's a true home run, and you'll have a ball. They're the head coaches when it comes to mattress expertise. But know this. They're more than mattress experts. They have a game plan that helps you transform your mattress into a bed. From adjustable bases and sheets to headboards and bedroom decor. You know Ken Flo loves his bedroom decor. They have you literally figuratively covered up like your favorite cornerback. So go to mattressfirm.com slash podcast to see what deals are happening as I read this sentence to you. They even offer you a 120-night sleep trial to ensure perfection and a 120-night low-price guarantee so you know you paid the perfect price. Talk about a one-two punch, a knockout, if you will. So score big with a perfect bed. Head to mattressfirm.com slash podcast to get the play-by-play on how you can monumentally improve your sleep today, tonight, and tomorrow. It's the main event challenge. Annick. The time is most definitely now. Florian. I finished fights. I'm going to do everything possible to win. The main event challenge. The John Annick and Kenny Florian podcast. And we will get back to Khabib and Tony, Ken Flo. You know I don't like cutting you off, but uh, more on that coming up later in the show. Let's update the standings, though, shall we? No picks last week, obviously, with no live UFC events. So Team Anik led it 27-21 going into UFC 222. You went head-to-head with listener Josh Penland. Three big points just on the cyborg fight alone for Team Florian. So you had the the round, the method, all of that stuff, right? You also had Brian T-City Ortega, two points there for the underdog special. Uh, but Josh was right there with you most of the other picks. So you win the week, but 7-6 the margin. Oof. Team Anik retains the overall lead, 33-28. Uh, the flow, though, continues to chip away. So 33-28 <laughs> for the good guys. And joining us to to make picks for UFC London today, you know, full disclosure, short notice, Anthony Ibarra on Twitter. You can find him at Fool. Anthony, how are you, man? Good. How are you guys doing? Oh, you you look like a guy I want to hang out with. We got a picture of him and drinking some sort <laughs> know, of right? non-alcoholic beverage. Uh, so <laughs> we had a, a London local set to make picks today. He had to back out. So Tony to the rescue. Uh, can people even call you Tony Anthony? Is that okay? Uh, yeah, I've been called much worse. <laughs> okay. All right. I get the sense that maybe he'll love to stick with Anthony. Yeah, well, yeah, we'll go with Anthony yeah, the rest yeah. of the <laughs> Anthony, did you did you watch Ken Flo fight back in the day or do you not go that go back that far? Now I'll be honest, I started about 2011, 2012, but I catch almost every show. 
See, isn't that amazing, Ken Flo? You are so See? fucking old that guys <laughs> who just started watching this sport a few years ago have no idea who I you love are. They it. listen to your That's podcast. Hilarious. I love it. All right, so, Anthony, let's get to some picks here. So, first out of the shoot, uh, good rematch here, at least on paper. Jimmy Manawa, Jan Blahovich. Blahovich plus 175 right now. Manawa, the minus 215 favorite. So, the first meeting, it was April 2015 in Poland. Goes to Manawa by unanimous decision. His only pro win, not by knockout. Since that fight, Jimmy 2-2, two and two, Blahovich 3-3. Three and three. He has won two in a row, though. Uh, Anthony, who do you like here, Jimmy Manawa or the underdog Jan Blahovich? Well, Blahovich is three and four in his last seven fights, and I think this is a big step up in competition. Uh, he's got a lot of decisions as of late, and other than a submission win over Devin Clark, who isn't even ranked, um, I really think Jim, Jimmy Manawa is going to be able to take it. As you said, they they rematch, or this is a rematch from 2015. Uh, I think Jimmy's striking has gotten better and more precise, so I'm going to take the favorite in this one, Jimmy, probably by knockout. And, Kenny, Jimmy Manoa also talking about only having a couple years left in the sport, right? So I think he really understands what is at stake here and what he needs to do to, to make one final run to get his first UFC title crack. Uh, Jimmy Manoa here about a 2-1 to one favorite. Flo, what do you think? Well, I think he still is motivated. Yeah, he doesn't have a whole lot of years left. Um, and at 205 pounds, I mean, uh, the division... Uh, as far as him being able to get that shot, he knows the time is now. So um, I think he is motivated. I think he's the more technical striker, and he certainly hits harder. Uh, I got to go with Manuel. Time has absolutely got to be now, and I know it's a tricky spot for a lot of these light heavyweight contenders and the heavyweight contenders to a lesser extent, but of course their belt is idle, at least right now, as Daniel Cormier moves up to challenge Stipe Miocic this summer. All right, main event, and speaking of sort of some of the Division holdups here could affect these guys potentially. But this main event, I would think, at least produces a contender that is going to be on the short list here towards the end of 2018. So Fabricio Verdum, minus 215. Alexander Volkov, plus 175. Volkov, the lesser-known guy, but you do your homework on him. You understand why he's getting this opportunity. Top five in the world, undefeated in the UFC. He's won five straight. A lot of experience, 35 pro fights. He's won 29 of them. Uh, skilled fighter. Perhaps some value on him at plus 175. The question is, Anthony, does he have enough right now to beat the former champion, Vi Cavallo, Fabrizio Verdun? You know, I don't think so. His last three wins were Stefan Schroeder by KO and a decision for Nelson and Timothy Johnson. I'm not super impressed with his last three wins, especially since Schroeder just got knocked out by Asian Andre Arlovsky. Uh, he's a solid striker, but Verdun hasn't been knocked out since 2008 other than his, his knockout loss to Stipe. Redoom's 3-1 in the last four fights, but he's hungry, and he's a company man now, as you know. Uh, I think he wants that belt back, and his experience is going to be too much for, for Volkov. So I'm taking Redoom by decision. Volkov's got pretty decent uh, taking on defense. All right, Redoom, over 25 minutes. The play for Anthony. Ken Flo, who's the pick to click in the main event, and uh, we'll need that method of victory in the round. I think Volkov has a tremendous amount of potential. I, I just think that he gets hit way too much, really needs to improve his defense. Uh, and if the fight hits the mat, we know that Verdum will submit uh, any heavyweight in the world right now. Um, I, I think Verdum, he has been extremely active as of late. Um, that could be a blessing and a curse. You know, uh, he's a little bit older now, doing camp after camp after camp. Um, it can be tough on your body. However, I got to go with uh, Fabrice Verdum, the former champ. I think he gets it done here. And how does he get it done, Kip? Uh, let's go with a third round TKO. 
TKO for Fabricio Verdum. And I, I'm glad you hit on the activity thing because that's a big storyline for me coming in is does that work to his benefit or not? I think it does. I think it actually helps him to have been this active and to have dealt with some weird circumstances with the Walt Harris late entry and everything else. So I think you get a prime Verdum against Volkov this weekend. We'll see how it plays out. Main card, 5 p.m. Eastern on UFC Fight Pass. And a quick pick here on the way out, Anthony. Bantamweight fight. Tom Duquesne, Terry on where? So you get extra points here, at least in our scoring system. If you back where, he is plus 200. Tom Duquesne, minus 260. Anthony, which way are you going? I got to take the fire kid, Tom Duquesne. I think he's got a super bright future ahead of him. Tom Duquesne, the fire kid. Ken Flo, which way are you going? I'm going to go with Duquesne. I think he learned a lot in, in his last fight. Um, so I'm going to go with Duquesne. All right, Anthony Ibarra, appreciate you listening and more importantly for stepping up today, buddy. We'll have you back for a pay-per-view later this year. Thank you, man. Thanks, fellas. I just want to say on Terry on Ware, by the way, 17-7 and seven overall, never been knocked out in 24 pro fights, 0-2 in the UFC, but his losses to the Sugar Show, Sean O'Malley, mm-hmm. and Cody Stamen, both on points. I love seeing guys in a must-win. Right. And you won't hear us talk about must wins a lot on the broadcast. But for Terry on where if you follow UFC comings and goings, this is a must win scenario for him. Oh, and two in the UFC fighting Tom Duquesne while also in a big spot for him coming off the loss to Cody Stamen. That was back in October. I'm excited to see what guys can do when they're put in this position back up against the proverbial wall. Yes. Terry and Ware's got a lot of skills on the feet, and uh, I think he should get a chance to use them here against Tom Duke and was. So big fight there among several that you can see on Fight Pass this weekend. And yeah, Duke and one Terry and Ware, part of the main card. That's 5 p.m. Eastern on UFC Fight Pass. So as we were saying about UFC 223, Kenny, and we'll get to Ray Longo here in about five minutes, you were talking about Khabib not losing rounds in training. And I just think it's so hard based upon what we saw him do his last time out to state a case for the other guy. You know, I watched Khabib Nurmagomedov do what he did in the Edson Barboza fight. And I left thinking this is the most dominant force in the game in any division. So even though I sit here and say that I think Tony Ferguson is the most accomplished lightweight of all time. He is fighting the guy who, in my opinion, right now in 2018 in any division. I don't know if that means I think he's the pound for pound best. But Khabib Nurmagomedov and not anybody else, to me, is the most dominant force in the game right now. And it's interesting because in Khabib, you get a guy that you know exactly what he's going to do. You know exactly how he's going to do it. And you still can't stop him. He's like Wayne yeah. Gretzky back in the day, right? I mean, oh, you, you yeah. can't stop him. You only hope to contain. And and uh, Habib is just he's that kind of dude. Um and, and again, it's a safer game plan. When you go in there, when you're that high level of a grappler and you have those kind of takedowns that Habib has and that style of takedown, which people aren't really onto yet. I think a lot of people are still shooting doubles and singles and you make yourself very susceptible to a flying knee or an uppercut. For Habib, he gets to that clinch and he gets there very safely for the most part. Sometimes he throws a little bit wild on the outside from the feet. Um, that's where he needs to be careful going forward against a very good counter striker like, say, a, a Conor McGregor um, going forward. But he gets any of those guys in the clinch. They're going for a ride. They're going to get some Nurmagomedov air miles, period. Um, huh. And when he gets on top of you, you're not getting out. And if you do, you're going to get up bloody, uh, you know, dizzy, uh, going back to your stool asking what, 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 what bear just attacked you. So for Habib, man, yeah, he, he's just he's a, a, a huge guy for the division, a tough guy to deal with. Um, and I just don't see anybody beating him in that division. 
But again, if there's someone who could pull it off, it's a guy like Ferguson. But he's going to have to bring that chaos. He's going to have to bring uh, scrambling ability in there against Habib. It's going to be a tall task, though. Spicy, crispy, chicken sandwich. <laughs> I mean, I can't get it out of my head. All this time we're talking about the spicy, crispy chicken sandwich. That's what it is. Spicy, like. crispy chicken sandwich. They don't put kale on that flow, by the way. No. That's just like frozen romaine. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. So, by the way, updated betting line for Rose Namajunas and Ioana Jacek. JJ minus 155, Rose Namajunas plus 125. So, again, we're going to be talking 223 every single week, at least for five or ten minutes. And next week we'll touch on that fight a little bit. But Ioana Jacek right now sitting as the slight betting favorite against Rose Namajunas. All right. 31-year-old Nick Newell. We're going to spend much more time on this next week when we talk to Luke Thomas, who has watched every bit of footage involving this fighter. Some of you know his story. Many of you may not. He is a congenital amputee. His left arm ends just below his elbow, so it extends a little bit below his elbow. He retired from MMA in October of 2015. He was 13-1 at that time, only pro loss by second-round TKO to Justin Gaethje, who is only right now one of the best lightweights in the world. So Newell returned. It was five days ago. LFA 35 won the fight. And now more so than ever before, he wants to fight in the UFC. And certainly this has been his aspiration for some time. But he's making the rounds right now and really trying to put the pedal to the metal. And, and again, we're going to talk in greater detail about this next week. But Kenny, how much have you followed Nick's story? And do you have a strong opinion at this moment as to whether or not this actually might happen for this young man? Right. Um, I, I've met Nick. Uh, I've seen a, a few of his fights. Um, very talented guy um, and, and who has accomplished a lot in this sport for a guy with one arm. I mean, that's absolutely yep. amazing. It's an inspiring story. Um, he's a tremendous grappler. Uh, he's a guy who is uh, dangerous on the feet. He knows how to kick. He knows how to keep distance. Um, he's good at getting you down to the mat. And when he gets you to the mat, um, He's brutal. Uh, brutal yeah, with his ground and pound, has good submissions, fun to watch. Um, you know, he, this is a different level, though, fighting in the UFC. And, and, and again, for anybody, this doesn't matter no matter what, whether they're going in there with a certain amount of skills or something that's going to prevent them from competing uh, to the best of their ability. I don't want to see anybody get hurt. And, you know, for, for him fighting... Uh, in the UFC, I think he would encounter a lot of uh, big-time challenges. Um, and I, do I have a strong opinion whether he's going to fight or not, whether I w want to see him fight? I don't know. I mean, this is tough because for him, he's been out there proving everybody wrong for a long time. You know, a lot of people have been saying, ah, I don't know if you could do that. I don't know if you should do that. And he's out right. there doing it and doing it extremely well at a high level. So uh, who are we to kind of tell him not to compete? But at the same time, he's going in there in the octagon against all these trained killers who have, right. you know, all their capacities, have all their limbs and all that stuff. I mean, imagine him against a Habib Nurmagomedov, you know. Right. And so, it, it, again, it, it, this is a tough one for me. Um, but at the end of the day, this is an adult, a guy who is a professional fighter. He's been competing for a long time. It's his dream to fight in the UFC. Um I don't know. Do we say no to him? I don't know. Well, it's tricky. And it's tricky. a lot of people will talk about his ability, as you did, to defend himself against UFC-level competition. And I'm sure he's not going to love some of the things that you're saying, obviously, and those are just your opinions as a fellow fighter, right, in terms of your concerns, right? And he's obviously had to answer critics every step of the way. 
I feel yeah. like on the merits of what he's done, based upon my short research against regional competition at 14 and one, uh, that he is a guy who can at least win a fight or two in the UFC. Absolutely. But is it worth it, Kenny, yeah. for the UFC to get on board and take whatever risk this is? Uh, you know, I don't know how much necessarily there is, but to do this if they think the ceiling on him is top 25 at 155 pounds maybe they don't think it's worth it and one thing luke tom is going to say to you next week on our show i can guarantee it is that nobody has a right to be in the ufc uh i guess the father in me would love to see this kid who has seemingly done everything right to try to get this lifelong dream get the opportunity to do so yeah and I also just feel like that's the only way he can scratch this itch kenny right like he's not gonna it's just in our sport if I could even call it our sport, right? The regional circuit is not going to scratch the itch, right? It's one walk to the octagon for Nick Newell. And uh, if, if you want to know which side of it I'm on, it's certainly on the side that would like to see him at least get the opportunity. But it's not without some pause. I want to ho- hold it down, though, right there because uh, we got a good man on the line. Let us get to the weekly Ray Longo Minute. Now time for the Ray Longo Minute. I want you to punch a hole in this fucking chest. That's what I want. The Ray Longo Minute. Starring Ray Longo. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. Sorry, Flo. I feel like I've been cutting you off all Not day. At I all. know you have somewhere to get in, and we will uh, just continue it now with Ray Longo. Looks like you're at the gym today. Is that right? <laughs> My man. I'm at the gym like where I always am. <laughs> yeah, I have, I have, ex- I have absolutely no life. <laughs> I'm at the gym. That's my life. Is Chris, yeah, is know, Chris, just, Chris Wyman Kenny still in the building? Just, really? Kenny was just very serious. I love when he smiles. <laughs> so uh, is Chris stuff. Wyman still in the building or has he gone home? He actually just walked out. He had to take okay. his car to the yeah. body shop. He had to leave. Yeah, he's got basketball practice at 3 p.m. today, Ray. So I understand. <laughs> Ixnay on the Omshnay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we'll leave it Ixnay down there. You guys the got c- celebrity. Can we ce- can we continue this, the rest of this conversation in pig Latin? Please? <laughs> oh, I mean, guys, 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 got his guys playing celebrity basketball with thumb injuries, yeah. but I know we're not here to talk funny. about that, Ray. Ask uh, so- Ollie on the Ummy. <laughs> <laughs> so no, no, he got a. You know what it is with his thumb too, and I'm I'm sure he was playing just right-handed, but uh. It looks uh, like they might have to reconstruct the ligament in his thumb, just oh, similar man. to like an ACL surgery. Yeah, it's it's a really, you know, I don't know. You know, when you're talking about fighting, man, you want to be as close to perfect as possible, and I think that's the problem. I mean, he's definitely struggling with that, but trying to do whatever he can. But, yeah, I don't know. We'll see what happens in the future. But oh. right now, it looks like, some, you know, he might have to go back in for a surgery. Well, here's hoping that is not his fate. Great human being. Yeah. Even better fighter, future Hall of Famer, and hopefully he's back, and it'll be a big spot whenever it happens. Uh, Ray, you heard us probably talking a little bit about Nick Newell. We're going to devote a decent chunk of the show next week to this. Um, have you ever encountered uh, an amputee, either training or otherwise, and how do you feel about this entire scenario? Uh, no, I've never encountered an amputee uh, training or even in uh, competition. Uh, man, really... Uh, really tricky, slippery slope. I don't know. It seems like transgenders can fight uh, people with no hearing. One kid, who the hell knows? I mean, it's. I think he, he needs. If if he earns, if, like if he earned a spot in the UFC, uh, and he did do good on the local circuit, he fought in Bellator, right? 
I mean, he lost to, uh, I think, uh, Justin Gaethje. I mean, that guy's no pushover. So, I mean, right. well, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, it's not something I would want to see, but I think, uh, I don't, you know, like, again, there's nothing saying you have to put him in the UFC, but if that's right. a dream of his, and, and I think he's probably done enough to at least warrant a fight and see what happens. So, who knows? So in terms of your guys, Al Jermaine Sterling, Al Iaquinta, uh, how go the preparations? And uh, I guess you're starting to sort of really hone in at this point, I would think. Yeah, well, sir, certainly Al, is. Uh, he's got, what, a couple of weeks. But uh, everybody's doing good. We got, like, again, for those guys, it's Marab, uh, Al Jermaine, and Suzaki, and they're all looking pretty good. So I like that. And Al and, – and Iaquinta is just starting to we're starting to peak him now. He's really been pushing hard. Very excited for that fight. I think it's going to be a great fight. And uh, again, my concern is just to make sure everybody goes in there as healthy as possible. And yeah. so far, knock on wood, so good. So you got Uluka Sasaki taking on Magomed Bibulatov. Is that right? Yes. Uh, yeah, I think that was. Yeah. Right. Yeah. See, I told I was telling Mark Henry that, and he's like, Sasaki's working with Ray. I mean. Longo versus Mark. I love these Ray Longo versus Mark Henry matchups. And Mark didn't even know. He doesn't listen to the Anakin Florian podcast. So he didn't know you were training Sasaki. Now, well, I thought, you know, I called him after the Frankie fight. So we talked about it. So I, it depends on when you had that conversation. But, uh, you know, I spoke to him right after the Frankie fight. And uh, we talked about it a little bit, you know, how much we don't like it. But it is what right. it is. And, yeah, I don't think he knew Sasaki was over here. But um, he did not. Yeah, that is what it, it, it is, what it is, man. I think it's just it's just going to make for a better fight and uh, we'll see what happens. But I'm, I'm liking uh, I like Suzaki, man. He's looking good. Uh, yeah, really, really. He, his training's been going really good. Tall, tall for the division, man, has a lot of potential. I'm, I'm glad that he's out there working with you. Yeah, I mean, I tell you, I think he's six foot. It's crazy. 125 pounds or 5'11". I mean, yeah. he's definitely eyeball eyeball with me and he's a great kid communication barrier is a problem but he he definitely very visual for sure and then half the times he brings the interpreter with him which helps out but uh what a sweet kid man great energy in the gym always smiling always happy uh very very nice guy really i i wish the best for this kid he's a very nice kid all right, last thing, because you brought it up. We talked to Mark Henry on our show, of course, the week before the Frankie Edgar fight. You talked to him after the fact. Was that just a call to, to check in on him and Frankie? Obviously, that would have been a tough thing for them to absorb, having never be, been on the wrong end of a result like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think he, he'll confirm this, but uh, I think when he picked up the phone, he had his head in a noose. He was just about <laughs> to jump off the chair, and I saved him. But... Uh, <laughs> It was almost like the suicide hotline. I jumped right in. Yeah. yeah but, yeah, yeah, no, obviously, you know, there's such a bond between those guys that, uh, you know, he was, uh, yeah, he was, you know, distraught. But, he, look, he, he's, he's a he's a professional. He trains a lot of people. It, it's Guys, it's really, really hard. you gotta you got to get emotional for five seconds, and then you got to move on to the next fight if you're going to do your job right. So he's in a tough yeah. spot. He's got other fights coming up, but uh, yeah, he was uh, upset. But I tell you, always with a sense of humor. We had a lot of laughs, um, and uh, we had a lot of laughs, and uh, you know that was it. You know, it. 
there's things outside of fighting, but yeah. uh, obviously he was he was emotional, and that sucked. That sucked for everybody. Everybody loves Frankie Edgar. He's a great guy, and you know, it was uh, that was it. But yeah, he was. Uh, I think we did we did we did laugh a lot in the conversation, and that's I, I love sure the guy. Did. I think he does a great job, and you know, he's he's all in that guy as a trainer. I've watched him in action, and he's, oh yeah, I can't say enough good things. Yeah, really good dude. You know, you know, batshit crazy, but a great guy. Yeah, all of that. All of that. No, no, no. He's bonkers for real. Yeah. <laughs> Look at how good you're getting at this whole audio video mix. You're like pausing FaceTime mid-interview. I mean, you are a true renaissance man, and it's five of the hour. I know you have a private coming up at 2 p.m. Eastern. So uh, any exactly. final parting shot before we let you get on your way? Uh, I think that's it. You know, I think that's it. Hopefully uh, next week I'll be a little more awake and I can make Kenny laugh. I'm, uh, we were a little low on the laugh this time. <laughs> a little low. A little low. I don't like Yeah, him. he's better on a Monday. He's not in a great mood today. And, I, dude, right. I didn't even get to you on John Jones. Can we do that next week? Can we Can we save it? Next week, let's do it. Let's, let's attack John Jones again. We got to help this <laughs> okay. guy. He's an addict. He's an addict, and we got to get him into rehab as quick as possible. Okay. All right. I am going to lead with John Jones and not bury it next week when we have you back. Quick turn on a Monday, dude. Don't don't block the cell phone. Take my call. Definitely. You guys are the best. Thanks, right, Kenny. Have a good day. <laughs> Shake the rest of this show up, buddy. Let's I will. Go. I will. I need my coffee. Take it easy, guys. See you, buddy. See you, buddy. Thank you. <clears throat> I can't believe he calls me this morning because he wants to talk about John Jones, and then we just started going in a number of different directions. But more on Nick Newell next week. I think it's a pretty interesting and compelling story, and we'll see what happens. You know, I would never want to say that he would be penalized for it, but I guess the the softy in me and the emotional guy just would hate to see him never be afforded the opportunity just because of it. You know, it's right. like if he says, if I get to 20 and one, you know, can I then get in? And if the answer is no, then maybe he should just cut his losses and go do something else as he has done for the last three years before coming back. But seems to be a really good kid. Kenny, obviously you have yes. spoken to him and uh, it's He's just hard kid in the sports vacuum to not root for feel good stories. And this, you know, not unlike Justin Wren and some other things going on in the space, I just think would be something that would make you feel really good uh, about, you know, this kid and his opportunity to, to not just chase, but ultimately fulfill the dream. So we'll see. All right. Now back to the guest line and joining us, one of the most dominant champions in the world. She returns to defend her title at UFC 224 May 12th in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, she is the UFC Women's Bantamweight Champion. She, of course, is Amanda Nunes. Amanda, John, and Kenny here. It's good to have you with us. How are you? Good. How are you, guys? Thank you for having me in. Thank you. It, it is our absolute pleasure. So I know you're living and training full-time in the United States. Is that right? Yes. So how long have you lived in the States, and, and how has that transition been for you overall? You know, the transition for me was very good. I stepped in this country when I was very young, like with 20 years old. Now I'm almost 30. And the transition was normal. Of course, I have to learn the, the I have to learn, learn English, everything. But uh, it was a matter of time, you know. Like, I'm here, like, straight in the United States for almost six years now. Like, yeah. I don't... Oh, I always stay and then go back to Brazil, and but almost six years I decided to stay, and I love it. I love to stay here. You know, change a lot of my life when I make that movie. 
Well, and I know we love having you here in South Florida. Now, it's been three years since you fought in Brazil. But, of course, this time when you defend your belt, you're going to be the last fighter to walk to the octagon. You're going to be walking in as the champion. Um, have you thought about what that moment is going to be like for you and to try to make sure that you keep your focus where it needs to be? Because, obviously, this crowd is going to pop as soon as you come through that curtain. I'm very happy to go back to Brazil, you know, especially defending my belt there with with all all my people, you know, that's awesome. And you know, I'm focusing to walk away with my belt once again, you know. Uh, it's gonna be awesome. It's gonna be in Brazil, but the main focus is is my belt, defend this belt, and then you know, do my best inside the cage. And I'm very happy, you know, fighting Brazil always like. It's a, a amazing, amazing moment. And three years ago, I, I, I went back there. I, prom- I promised to my mother I only go back to Brazil with my, my belt, and then I there did it. Go. Now I'm going to go back and defend that. Awesome, you know. I'm very happy. It's been amazing what you've been able to accomplish so far, Amanda. You're going to be taking on Raquel Pennington. What, what are some of the challenges that Raquel brings to the cage? Actually, Rocky evolved a lot, you know. Since that fight against Mission, she showed, like, a lot of heart, you know. And she she showed, like, she stepped in the cage and it's going to be a battle. And she had a good good jiu-jitsu. And, you know, this is going to be awesome because if he goes on the ground, it's going to be good for me as well. You know, I'm black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I have a lot of experience as well. And, you know, this is MMA. Everywhere is dangerous, you know. Everybody step there is, is ready to go. Rock is going to come strike with me, and then if, he, if she be able to clean, she, she's going to use the, the cage, she's going to do the dirty box. I know that if she goes go on the ground, she's going to try to go to the guillotine, to the bulldog choke. She's very strong at it. And I know everything she's going to do, you know, and I have to be ready. And respect everything, you know. Nobody stepping in the cage is 50%. You know, you went five hard rounds in your last fight against Valentina Shevchenko. What, what did you learn from that fight? I learned I can can get in the five rounds, you know, because a lot of people uh, talk about that. You know, Amanda never, never went five rounds and she, she got, you know, guys out, things like that. But uh, now I prove, it, I prove it everybody's wrong, you know. Especially me that I, I like to to go to the gym and then evolve all the time. You never can talk about a fighter like to train and evolve. You have to wait for the next fight to at least talk about. You know, you never judge a fight because the last fight. You have to keep it like give a chance. Uh, a fighter always go to the gym. Always like to improve it. Right. UFC Women's Bantamweight Champion Amanda Nunes with us here on the Anakin Florian Podcast. So every interview you do between now and that fight, you are going to be asked about Chris Cyborg. Are you tired of that narrative and that story, or are you just prepared for the fact that you're going to have to address it pretty much every step of the way until you fight Raquel in May? You know, of course, my, my focus is, is Rocky, but uh, if I have to talk about Chris, I don't have any problem. Huh? But uh, my focus is not on her right now because we have a chance, but uh, she decided to fight, fight her last fight against the girl and was her choice. Right. 
But uh, right now, my step is rocky. After that, I have have another girl in the line. You know, have the Brazilian girl, Vieira. She's like, she's ready to go. You know, I think she's the, the next uh, contender for sure. And I'm I'm happy because my my weight class had two two contenders right now, and I'm not worried about that fight is uh, to so bad right now because we right. had a chance. You know, he like was very very hard to negotiate with the UFC, and then things move on. You know, I'm never gonna say he waiting for somebody. I want to fight my next step is Rocky, and I have like. Right after Rocky, having a Brazilian girl, you know, I'm I'm interested too, and I'm not gonna wait for nobody, you know. Right. No, and it makes sense, and you're absolutely right about Ketlin Vieta, and there are a handful of other bantamweight contenders. If you were though to move up to 145 pounds, would would you need some time to put some weight on? Would you move up and stay there? I mean, I'd imagine you have to consider all of these things. Honestly, honestly, like I have to have time. You know, yeah. I have to train for cyborg full time. You know, this is not it's not something easy. Like I said, you fight against Rog, I'm gonna step the next month or two months to fight cyborg. And I think this is fair for me. You know, I think right. you if you you're gonna give it to UFC is gonna make me fight her or I decide to fight her or whatever. I have to have my time to get ready for her. You know, we have to make this fair. And right. I fight, I fight in the cage 100%, you know, giving me time to training for her and everything's going to be fine. But uh, if you, if you day one, I step like, well, like one month, you know, you know, I don't think this is fair. I think you ha- you'll have to have, give it the timing to get ready for her. Right. No, it makes a lot of sense. And I know you believe you're the best pound for pound women's mixed martial arts athlete in the world. And I think that's a big part of why you called her out, not just the payday that would come with it, but your chance to prove that it is you and not her uh, who is the best in the world pound for pound, at least right now. Yeah, I think the best you want to fight the best, you know, she's the best in her division. It's not to do about country. It's not to do... uh, It's not personal against nobody. No, this is a business, you know. And when it becomes a business, you want to fight the best. I'm the best in my division. She's the best in her division. And we're going to step in the cage, you know. And But I have to have my time. I have to have my, my, right, my right weight training, you know. And things can work out. But uh, right after my fight against Rock, I'm going to see my family and take my time, you know. I'm not going to think right. about right after. And, and step is not 100% and then... Uh, do a camp and then don't rest and then do another camp doesn't make any sense you know doesn't make any sense right no I agree with everything you just said all right last thing your girlfriend Nina Ansaroff she had a big win her last time out Amanda you got to get her a fight though she's got to get back in there you got the power let's go (laughs) every day I talk to her about that Mackenzie Mackenzie want to fight right okay bring him Give Mackenzie to Nina. Why not? You know what I mean? Like, she want to fight. She just call out uh, our teammates, Alex. But uh, Alex isn't even he training yet. She's like, she's going, she's going to come back, but uh, she's rolling, you know. Right. She ha- have to come and then uh, get in her schedule. But Nina, here. Nina's ready. Where's Mackenzie? Give Mackenzie to Nina, you know. She want to fight. Nina ready to go. I love it, having Amanda do her dirty work. Well, that's a good call-out right there, and maybe that may, they make that fight 
Uh, she is the UFC Women's Bantamweight Champ. Amanda Nunes defends against Raquel Pennington. May 12th, UFC 224 in Rio. You can only see it on pay-per-view. Amanda, we love you. Thanks for the time today. We wish you all the best, and uh, I guess we'll see you in a few weeks uh, in Rio. Thanks for the time, hon. Thank you. We love you, too. Mm-hmm. All right, there she is, Amanda Nunes. And interesting, Kenny, too, to hear her talk about Ketlin Vieta, right? Yeah. There are a lot of considerations for Amanda Nunes when it comes to the cyborg fight. But she's also not afraid to acknowledge that if the number one fighter in the world, the number one contender is Brazilian, there is no pause, Kenny. I mean, you know a lot of Brazilians, Chris Cyborg, foremost among them, they don't want to fight their fellow countrymen and women. Amanda Nunes has no problem fighting Chris Cyborg. She's ready to get her mitts on Ketlin Vieira. I mean, I, I, I know maybe that doesn't sit well with all Brazilians, but I have a certain amount of respect for her willingness to take on all comers regardless of what flags draped over your shoulders you know? absolutely absolutely to the point where you know i think um, amanda was criticized because um you know she was cheering for tisha torres uh right. when you know she was competing uh in her last fight against andrage and it's just ridiculous you know listen but the, the brazilian people they're very uh they have a lot of pride uh for their country um but Listen, this is a business where you don't bring your whole country in there. It's one-on-one. You know what I mean? It's not yeah. – this isn't the Olympics here. Uh, you you got to go out there and fight and make as much money as you can. And there's a lot of great Brazilian fighters out there. And you can't just say, oh, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to fight a fellow Brazilian. Right. It, it's got to happen. It, it's got to right. happen. Amanda understands that very well. And uh, I love her eagerness to fight whoever, whenever. And by the way, on the Tisha Torres thing, that's her dear friend, her sister, right? Yeah, her exactly. longtime teammate. Exactly. I mean, if you're not rooting for that person, right? It's like me, though. I wonder if I had a dear friend who was a New Yorker, could I still root for him <laughs> in a cage fight? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it, yeah, I don't love rooting for Brian Stan as a Pennsylvania guy necessarily. So I don't know. That'd be tough. Thankfully, Ken Flo's a Bostonian made things that's very right. easy. Yeah. All right. Good stuff from uh, Amanda Nunes there on the Anakin Florian podcast. All right, that is going to do it for today. Thank you to our guest, TJ Dillashaw, Amanda Nunes, of course, Ray Longo. Quick turnaround, as I mentioned, for us on Monday. So we will join radio, We will be joined by radio star Luke Thomas. Uh, he'll talk about Nick Newell, some other items UFC-related as well, and whether or not uh, he thinks Nick Newell's future should lie in the octagon and will. Um, Ken Flo, I know you got to get out of here. This show is not paying the bills. May Rocky BJJ, MayRockyBJJ.com. It's 11677 Santa Monica Boulevard. I mean, what do you pay for that real estate, for that address? <laughs> 11677 Santa Monica Boulevard, Los Angeles, California. It's May Rocky BJJ. If you walk in there and mm-hmm. tell them that John Anik is paying $10 towards your first class, <laughs> I don't know what you get if you do that. That's but right. do that and yes. see what they say. Just see what they say. See how they react. <laughs> May Rocky BJJ. Beautiful, Jim. Ken Flo, if they nice do brother. want to see you, though, I mean, are there any times where you are absolutely there? Not for photos. I mean, you right. got to bring a gi, but <laughs> is there any time of the week where unequivocally with the newborn, though, you're still you're oh, still there? I, I was there for the last two weeks every single day. I taught four okay. classes in one day. Right. Absolutely. I've been there. Yeah. 100%. All right. That's good. As your daughter, True Florian, been inside the walls of may rocky bj she has yet. not she hasn't she hasn't left the florian compound too much Good. you know like Good. their immune system isn't very strong right now so okay well yeah, i know every once in a while she's been out a couple times we take her on the stroller we do we go for walks you know yeah. no b12 yeah. shots yet but no, no i know yet. i see i know 
that you're you too know smart. You wouldn't have for that. I just wanted yeah. to make sure because I know these jujitsu practitioners are a crazy, crazy yes. people, and yeah. it wouldn't at all surprise me <laughs> exactly. if they just ignored the and doctor's then orders. Asks, go, can I yeah. touch the baby? Can I see yeah. the baby? Then you have to be a jerk and go, no, get your freaking dirty, sweaty hands yeah. away from my yeah. child. Yeah, it's yeah. cool. I only have staff on my back. Yeah, it's you can't just ringworm. It. It's yeah. just ringworm. Yeah. Yeah. All right, buddy. Good stuff. Good to see you. Uh, and we will talk to you in a few days. We are back on Monday with that for the flow and our fine Fox Sports crew, Ben Wasork, and the rest. I'm John Anik saying so long for now. We'll talk to you in a few short days. Until then, yo later. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. Sports betting is sweeping across the country faster than the coronavirus, and wagering week is your antidote. I'm Tom Martin, and I'm a veteran sports analyst and respected sports handicapper who helped build ESPN's brand. I've been recognized and awarded by Pro Football Weekly and Gaming Today magazine as the honest handicapper. Let the other guys give you the same old boring sports talk with the same tired storylines. We'll give it to you straight here every Friday on Wagering Week. Don't gamble with other podcasts. Let Sports Garden Network's Wagering Week help your bottom line. Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly.